Praise God. Praise God. Let's open our Bibles and go to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3. This evening we want to teach a lesson entitled, What We Can Expect in the Last Days. We can expect in the last days. 2 Timothy chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. This know also that in the last days perilous times shall come. For men shall be lovers of their own selves, covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false accusers, incontinent, fierce, despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. From such, turn away. Notice verse 10. You've known fully my doctrine and manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, and patience. The persecutions and afflictions which came to me in Antioch, and Iconium, and Lystra, What persecutions I endured, but out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Yea, and all that will live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, as we look into these passages, I pray that you'd give us light and illumination. Pray, God, that you'd help me to underscore those aspects of the text that are important. And for a few moments, as we minister your word, pray that you give us all ears to hear. Make our hearts fertile ground and receptive for the word of God that will be planted like seed. And I pray, God, there'll be a harvest in our lives by what we learn and by what we apply. We're so grateful you so loved the world you gave your only begotten son that he might die on the cross for our sins. God, we thank you for the mighty power of the Holy Spirit in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen. We're not really sure when Second Timothy was written, but some scholars believe that in the 60s of the A.D., the first century, this text was penned by Timothy to his, excuse me, by Paul to his son in the faith. Timothy was left at Ephesus to be the pastor. And the apostle Paul at this present time, as he composed this epistle, was incarcerated. And a man that's in jail, but yet has his mind on God, on the church, and on his disciple. That's a man with a very disciplined thinking process. We know from chapter 1 that he tells us in verse 13 that Timothy is to hold fast the form of sound words. That means pay attention to what you've learned. All of us have had people who've discipled us, modeled for us what it is to be a Christian. Every child comes into this world 
in a mentoring type situation. There's a guardian or somebody to look after them and they learn what supposedly is right or wrong from the one that raises them. Paul says to Timothy, hold fast the sound words. Now I think it is interesting to note that in verse 15, the Apostle Paul of chapter 1 would say that all men have left him. He's serving God. He's been preaching the gospel. But one by one, he has seen his closest friends turn their backs on him. That has to be difficult. To have people in your life that mean a lot to you, only to see those same people turn and walk away from you because of the the bad circumstances that have come to you or because of your faith. This man says, all of them who are in Asia have turned away from me. And then he gives two names. These two people had to have been important to him. But he did remind us that there was one man who visited him and refreshed him and was not ashamed of the fact that he was in chains and incarcerated. But Paul says to Timothy in the middle of this, in chapter 2, that he is to endure hardness as a good soldier in verse 3. That means don't expect your life as a Christian to be easy all the time. There will be periods where you have to persevere. The adversary will go out of his way to create the kind of warfare in your life that demands of you endurance. So he said, war a good warfare. Don't be entangled with the things of this world. Well, John told us that we shouldn't love the world or the things that are in the world. He said the only thing that's in the world are things that aren't good for us, the lust of the eyes. Lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Paul is passing down wisdom to this young man. He's giving him some last minute schooling on how to remain strong in the pastorate and as an individual Christian. And he lets him know in verse 10, I endure all things for the body of Christ. And in verse 19, he says, the foundation of God standeth sure. There have been a lot of people that have pulled out some hammers and mallets and have chiseled at the foundation of the spiritual house of God. A thousand years from now, I can tell you, there'll still be hammers that have been worn out as they've tried to hack and tried to harm the word of God. But a thousand years from now, the word of God will still persevere. Long after many men and women have been in hell for a million years, the word of God will stand. So these introductory remarks that Paul is offering to Timothy is to set him up for the very core of what Paul foresees in the days ahead. And what he saw also parallels the very time frame in which we live, because we understand that when he wrote this to Timothy, God the Holy Ghost was inspiring him not just to write to a man, but to write to generations to come. People who would lift the Bible and read it all over the earth in different languages. Listen to it again in verse 1 of chapter 3. You should know this, Timothy, that in the last 
age or the final period of time, perilous times will come. Notice the plurality in the phrase perilous times. He doesn't speak of one period. He speaks of several periods. That is to say, this will not just occur one time, but most likely will occur several times in the last days. Do you realize that all over the earth today there are people enduring persecution for their faith? That there are Christians in the Middle East who have seen their loved ones beheaded? They've seen their loved ones that have been shot to death back in medieval times when Christians were placed on the rack and thousands of people would gather in the town square and watch as the Christian's body was stretched to the point that you could hear the bones as they would pop. Stretched on the rack. Perilous times. Difficult times. And over and over again, I hear stories of the persecution that have come to people who have placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. So with the change of culture comes the change in behavior. And with the change in behavior comes the change in people's attitudes toward certain individuals. And Paul says to Timothy, in the last days, perilous times shall come. Specifically for who? For those that are Christian. Because all of those who live godly, note the adverb, who live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. Perilous times. Present time frame in which we're living. We have to wonder what's up ahead. The pilgrim mothers, the founding fathers, they began a nation on the basis of colonies in the earlier part of the history of this nation. They looked for a place where they could build a city where God could be glorified. They wanted to worship God freely. They came here looking for freedom of religion from political oversight. They made their way here and found a land inhabited by people who had their own religion. But Jesus had made it very plain that he wanted the gospel to spread in different parts of the world. Didn't always spread in a manner that was becoming of Christ as Christians. However, because of the fact that a nation was founded with Jesus at the very root structure of it all, you saw that kind of fruit. I mean, in the public forum, people learned about God. The public school system began out of the Sunday school. People learned about God. The first book that this nation printed was the Bible. And the government supported it, and the government helped push it around the nation so that everybody would learn about it. But we've lived to see a day in which the culture has so changed, and there's been such a degeneration in the thinking of people, that now those who do not believe in God are creating the kinds, kinds of times that are perilous for those who do believe in God. This is what Mr. Paul told Timothy. You've got to understand that in the last days, perilous times will come. Now, they all lived under the Roman Empire. This was not a peaceful society. 
There were difficulties taking place all throughout that empire, stretching from Europe, making its way all the way over towards modern-day India and in parts of North Africa. But nevertheless, there were believers trying to serve God. And some locations were worse places to live as a Christian than other locations, as it is today. It's easier to be a believer in America than it is right now to be a believer in northern Nigeria. It's easier to be a believer today in Scotland than it is to be a believer in northern Kenya. It's easier today to be a believer somewhere in Papua New Guinea than it is to be a believer somewhere in the jungles of Brazil. Paul said to Timothy, perilous times shall come. And he said, these times are going to be indicated by these particular types of characteristics. People will be lovers of their own selves. Now, we immediately think of somebody who's egocentric. And that is correct. But I want you also to think about the person who has created within themselves a belief in self-dignity and self-worth to the point that they believe they're special in a world apart from God. That They have their value not derived from God, but from themselves. Lovers of their own selves. Today, people don't look to God in the story of creation to describe where men receive their value from the creative design of God from the book of Genesis. But they think primarily of themselves. They'll be lovers of themselves. That's the kind of world that's been created by people today. He speaks of people that are covetous. Well, out of that self nature, out of that beast nature comes an attitude of covetousness. What does it mean to covet? Why choose one of these words that designates one of the Ten Commandments, the last of the commandments, thou shalt not covet? Well, he understands that anybody that puts the primary emphasis upon self is ultimately going to be consumed by making sure that they obtain things for self because self is never gratified. Self's appetite can never be satisfied. Covetous person is somebody that wants things that belong to other people, but they want it in their own possession. Covetousness. You see it today. You see the greed in society. You see the appetites that people have. This man said that there would be boasters. Not like Paul making their boast in God. But people that would boast in and of their own self, their own strength, not in the grace of God but in their own self-sufficiency. Like I heard one billionaire say one time, I'm going to build a house that even God would want. Be so arrogant to believe that any feeble-minded man or woman could create anything that God himself would want to dwell in. He told Israel the kind of house that he wanted. And when he looked for a tabernacle in which to dwell, he built a man. He built a woman, a human body to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. But Paul says the last days is also going to be indicated by the fact that pride is going to be on the rise. Now, what is pride? Pride is that one sickness, that one affliction that the person who is afflicted with doesn't realize that they have it. 
Everybody else can see it. They're proud, too proud to say, I'm sorry. Too proud to try to reconcile relationships. Proud that they're angry. Proud that they're bitter. And in their pride, the scripture says, they're preparing themselves for a very large fall. Many preachers, many professional people, many parents have had pride bring the severance of a marriage and the destruction of a business. Where at one time people were riding high and doing well, but because of pride. It's like somebody pulled a string and it all unraveled. Paul said in the last days you'll see that. You'll see blasphemers. You won't have to look far to find people that are opposed to God. You can watch on television today. You can get around certain people. Folks will take the name of the Lord in vain. Use the name Jesus as a fill-in for a cuss word. Some people are even on television. They don't have a problem blaspheming the name of God at all. This is the kind of culture that Paul said we would see. Now today, of course, we have... Observed that in the public sphere, Christianity isn't as popular as it was a hundred years ago. Not even 50 years ago. Certainly not 175 years ago. But we've come to a point today where people are, are not allowed to pray in Jesus' name. Football games, other places. People have wondered why it was that Christians for a long time, preachers in certain places, had an honored seat at the table when things were taking place in society. They wanted to know what a preacher thought, but it's not like that now. In fact, in many locations, they don't even have a chair there for a Christian or a preacher anymore. And the chair that once was occupied by a Christian is now occupied by somebody that doesn't know God. Christians aren't even invited into the discussion. We watch on television as people blaspheme the name of God. We hear on the radio, we hear in everyday speech when people talk about God, when they find out you're a Christian, some become even more vulgar just to see what kind of response they'll get out of you. Well, the scripture says that there would be children disobedient to parents I wonder in the last six months, nine months, how many of the hundreds of children that have been out there protesting in the streets and robbing and looting and burning, how many of them have parents and grandparents at home praying for them saying, I didn't raise them like this. They told them, don't go out there. I'm telling you to stay home. And they turned and walked right out the front door, the back door, despite what the parents said. Disobedient to parents. It's not easy today for some teachers to operate in the classroom when you have kids that don't pay attention to them because they don't pay attention to their parents. You see it in society. I hope you've never seen it in person, but I have seen kids cuss out their parents. I hope you never see it in person, but I have seen Young teenagers get into fisticuffs with their mothers and fathers because their mothers and fathers don't let them do what they want to do. Paul said in the last days, one of the characteristics would be people would be disobedient to their parents. There's a spirit of uprising and rebellion that'll be manifest. And you can see it. Paul says folks would be unthankful. 
They would lack gratitude. People would expect it to be done for them. You owe this to me. You owe me. Continually and forever the victim. You owe this to me. The Bible says, owe no man nothing but to love them. You would expect people to be charitable. And then when they receive that charity, you expect them to say, thank you. But I heard one uh, rowdy young gal on some little clip who made the statement and said, if everybody's out here robbing these different stores and looting and robbing a Gucci, they have a right to do that to feed their families because they're the, the, uh, the big franchises and merchandise dealers. They're going to make their money back. Unthankful. See, unthankful. Selfish, pride in the middle of it. And this man, Paul, is telling Timothy, if you think things are bad right now under the Roman Empire, where we've got the Roman dramas in theaters with nude people posing up on the stage, and you've got gladiators that are fighting one another in the stadiums, and you've got animals that are fighting humans, if you think that's bad, he said in the last day. You'll see something very, very different. People will be unholy. Now, quite naturally, when Paul says people are not going to be holy, he's saying they're not going to act like God. They're not going to be Christian. They're not going to exhibit Christian fruits of the Spirit. And it's that kind of unholiness that we see that is generated by a carnal mind that is opposed to God. Folks, do you understand 35 to 40 years ago is where we really got off the beaten path and started going in a different direction? And I'll tell you how it began. We stopped looking at the culture of the world out there as though it was an enemy. We stopped looking as though it was an enemy with God. We began to treat it like a misunderstood friend. So how can I reason with it? How can I adapt to it? How can I reach that culture? How can I engage with them in dialogue? Maybe I could win them. And pretty soon that culture crept right into the church. We started looking like them. We haven't reached them. The world has reached us. You can find all across the church, there'd be somebody, they'd have a strand of green hair, a strand of yellow hair, a strand of pink hair, a strand of orange hair. You have them everywhere from earrings all down here to all in here, in their nose, in their tongues, all in their chin. You'll find tattoos from the earlobe down to their big toe. And people say, we're, oh, we're reaching the lost. No, honey, they've reached you. They've reached you. You, you, you haven't converted them. They, 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 they've converted you. And when Paul says that these folks are unholy, it's because the culture has flooded the church. Think about it. In Hollywood, they don't like any kind of adjective that describes someone in a derogatory fashion. And Actors and actresses learn from their managers and their agents. If you're interviewed, make sure that you're upbeat and positive. If you don't like something, don't say it publicly. 
And so you see people on television, they never, they, they be an interview, they won't tell you that any film is bad or they don't like this person's activity or actions or anything like that. And you can't use certain adjectives because as I said, they, they find that to be derogatory. You don't call anybody ugly because that's bullying. And you don't want to turn your back on anybody that is uh, around you because if you shun them or turn your back and won't engage them in conversation, that's also a form of bullying. But these same people who don't want you to use any kind of derogatory language make one film after another in which one lady or one man will yell at another lady and call her a female dog. You got one show after another that have it repetitively on there, foul language being spewed out. And the whole time people are saying, don't be judgmental. We're not to judge. But I'm telling you, the Bible says that if there's going to be judgment, it ought to begin in the house of God. And because we have not judged ourselves and we've allowed the culture to come into the church, we find ourselves backing away from scriptures that tell us he that is spiritual judges all things. Jesus said, I judge with a righteous judgment. It's not the Christian that's judgmental. It's the good book that is judgmental. It approves of certain behavior. It condemns certain behavior. He said, well, pastor, they always quote the verse out of Matthew that says, do not judge. And I always say that is not what the verse says. The verse says, don't judge lest you are judged. Because with the same standard you apply to somebody else, it ought to be applied and it will be applied to you. Don't tell him or her not to steal if you're going to be a thief. Don't tell him or her not to lie if you're going to bear false witness. Church, we're commanded to judge. We're commanded to possess a discriminating spirit to be able to know the difference between what is right, what is wrong, what is holy, what is unholy, what is profane, what is clean. And once we lose that discriminating spirit, we then fall into the first sentence of verse number three, that we're now without natural affection. We don't even know the difference between right and wrong feelings. So here we are in a nation today that if Paul were to be brought back from the dead, he probably would look at all these things taking place, say, this is exactly what I prophesied about, and then from shock fall over dead again because of what he sees. The filth in many ways is enough to choke a horse. In Noah's day, when the the community and the generation was so rotten that an old turkey buzzard would turn up its nose when it flew above it, and God had to flood the earth. Here we are right now, without natural affection. It's natural for a guy to like a gal. It's natural for a gal to like a guy. It's not natural for those of the same gender to fall in love with the other gender. But once a person has moved away from the truth of God's word without natural affection, 
So here we are today, and I'm glad my grandma and grandpa aren't around, and they're up in glory, because I just don't know what my grandmother would have ever made of a, a community in which nobody knew which bathroom a boy or girl ought to use. Can't even tell anymore. Without natural affection. So presently, we are observing not just a mere shift in the change of our culture, but we have seen that from a political standpoint, people have come to impose through power all of the different ideas and beliefs that they have. The geniuses have gotten together and they have taught us that a person who has unnatural affections actually is normal. The very last verse of Judges tells us that during the days when there was no king, every man did what was right in his own eyes. Here we are. Here we are, folks, without natural affection. I'm utterly convinced that so much of this began 200 years ago over in Germany in their universities. Their divinity departments had many scholars who were prolific, many of them very smart, but they began to write and look at the Bible and they said, you know what, it, it, because of science today, we can't trust the creation story. The idea that there ever was a flood during Noah's time is something that probably is not true to fact. We don't want to believe that Israel originated from Abraham, that there really were some patriarchs, and we certainly can't trust and believe that a large nation emerged from Egypt delivered by one man because there's no literary record to attest all of that despite the book of Exodus. They say the prophets of old, many of those books like Isaiah, Daniel, Ezekiel, Micah, they were written long after many of these events took place or they fabricated these particular events to say that they were true. And these books were published and people read these books and they were at first they were startled to read that Jesus wasn't born of a virgin, that he never lived a sinless life. That Jesus did not die on the cross, that it is absolutely irrational to believe that a man could bear other people's iniquities and then die and then be raised up and brought to the throne of God. They said it's all myth and legend. There's no second coming. Not even sure Jesus came the first time. And all of these books made their way into the marketplace. And pretty soon from Europe, they made their way to the shores of America because so many of our preachers were desirous of sitting in one of those German universities in order to receive a Ph.D. so that they could be accepted and esteemed in America. Our Ivy League schools bought it. Pretty soon our denominational seminaries went after the same belief system and they started pumping them out by the thousands every single year, sending them not only across the New England states, but out into the heartland of America 
into small town America with thousands of people scattered abroad in these different counties and they sat and listened to the new theology, the new divinity, and people slowly but surely started believing some of this. And so now if you get up and just preach the Bible as the word of God and say you believe that God created the heavens and the earth and hung the stars in the sky, you're looked at today As if you're some kind of a naive fool. Yeah. It all began because we looked at the world and said we really need to understand them. The world isn't as bad as everybody says that it is. It's just a misunderstood friend. And if we could ever shake hands with them, if I could show them that I am just like they are, then you'll see They will also love me and respect me. Folks, I'm telling you right now, we're watching in the middle of all of our politics. We're seeing people that are preachers doing what they can to adjust their lifestyles to a liberal culture. And then when they run afoul of that liberal culture, that culture turns on them and pounces on them also. And they themselves don't even believe the Bible. Because they're carnivorous. Paul talks about people biting and devouring one another. That spirit is continually attacking other people because it despises the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. They are without natural affection. There's not even any feeling or sentiment towards God. That's what he's saying. He says there'll be truce breakers. They won't even look to create peace. They'll create strife. They'll live for discord, fighting. The last four years, all we've seen in politics is discord, fighting. In one community after another, you find it in the churches. Why are our churches split down the middle in the denominational ranks? Because you have these people without natural affection, who are not interested in producing peace, as Jesus said, blessed are the peacemakers, but they're truce breakers and false accusers. What's a false accuser? Somebody that lies. He's guilty. He did this. They slandered Jesus. He went to the cross because people lied on him. And today, all it takes to destroy a man or a woman of God is an accusation. Doesn't even have to be true. My wife and I try to be so careful, careful about who years ago we'd babysit, careful about where we'd go. All it takes is an accusation. I've seen families totally destroyed by disgruntled foster kid who got mad because they couldn't go to prom or because mom and dad wouldn't buy them this or that. And with a false accusation, rip the whole thing apart, bring social services in, and then the police get involved and hardly ever can get out of that situation. False accusers. You see it today. You watch the news. Nobody's interested in truth. There's always an anonymous source. You never find out who the source is. There's always somebody whispering in somebody's ear. It doesn't have to be true. Plant the lie on the front page and then when you have to retract it, put it on page 22. False accusers. But notice he says incontinent. That means a lack of self-restraint. Here are people that can't control their greed. People that can't control their appetites could be gluttony. Could be sexual. 
But certainly there's a lack of self-restraint, unable to control themselves. I, I don't even know if when Paul wrote this that he could have ever imagined that one day there would be documentaries on serial killers, things like that. People that would follow folks around to sexually assault them by the hundreds. Lack of self-restraint. And up here on Highway 80, Highway 70, in Kansas, folks, I'm telling you right now, you, you've got to be very careful with them kids. It wasn't too long ago that in this state, in a little small town, FBI and everybody came in. Folks were wondering what was going on. Broke up one of the biggest sex, sex trafficking rings that was going on in a small town in Nebraska. And don't even get me started on the things that take place along the highways when somebody can snatch a kid by a Walmart that's by an exit. And then before anybody realized they're gone, they're 18 miles down the road on the highway. Incontinent. Not wanting to restrain themselves. I want it. I desire it. I have a right to have it. Who are you to tell me I can't have him or her? That's what we're facing. So Paul said in the last days, people would be fierce. We see that. Out of the anger, out of the hostility, comes not only vengeance, but fisticuffs, physical combat. People with fierce countenances, always angry, can never find any peace at all. And then the scripture says, despisers of those that are good. Who are those that are good? Those connected with Christ. They came to Jesus one time and they said, good master, then made a statement. And then Jesus said, why do you call me good? There's nobody good but God. So that is to say anything that's good is related to God. So whatever is godly is good. So despisers of those that are godly. Why are Christians hated today? How is it that in our own nation right now, we can see the turn as it's coming? I mean, there are more rights for transgenders, transvestites, than there are for some Christians. They want to push the Christians back into a closet or into a closet, I should say. Merely because they are despisers of what is good. You can't mix oil and water, light and darkness, and your presence antagonizes some people. I've walked into the room, a room before when people found out I was a pastor and just my presence made them mad because they knew I was full of God. And it's no different for you. If you're around people that have a relationship with God, that's not a problem. You may find yourself around some people who are indifferent to religion and they don't care, but there still are individuals who are despisers of those that are good. I don't care what Roseanne or what uh, Whoopi Goldberg says on The View. They can call Christians whatever they want to call them. Call them terrorists and other things. Doesn't change the book. Long after folks have drawn their last breath and have descended into a very dark, Christless place, the church of Jesus Christ will still be shining. Why are folks despisers of those that are good? Because those that are good are a threat to those that are bad. That's why. The beliefs we hold dear concerning Christ 
are the kinds of beliefs, beliefs that prohibit them from doing what they want to do. What do they want to do? Be the influencers? Now, now think about this. Here, here we are today in a culture where people will say this to a pastor. I just think you shouldn't be so strong and so dogmatic about some of these things that you say. You ought to keep that in the church because you ought not impose your beliefs on other people. And you hear politicians say that my religion is private and I'm not trying to impose it in the public sphere, in the public forum, and I'm not doing anything I can to try to influence anybody in my workplace or wherever I am. But let me tell you something. I can tell you that culture out there in the world isn't thinking like that. They're not asking your permission. They're not asking my permission as they pass their laws and put their influence right in, the, right in our face. A friend of mine years ago when I first moved out here, pastor in a Wesleyan church, and I asked him, I said, why did you and your wife switch to homeschooling? He said, well, he said, my little daughter was at the elementary school. She came home one day and she had one of them little books that explained what a family was, had two mamas and two daddies. He said, oh, no, that'd be enough of that. He said, we'll be homeschooling from now on. Another friend of mine, I asked him, how did you end up doing this? homeschooling deal. He said, well, my wife and I and the family were getting ready to go on vacation. I went over to the local school to check my son out as a teenager to take him with us on the vacation. He said, I went to the principal's office where the staff and everybody was at. I said, I'm here to pick up my boy. We're getting ready to go on vacation. They said, well, you, you can't take him. He said, what do you mean I can't take him? He said, we only get so many days out per year and and you, you can't have him and you can't take him. You can't even go to the classroom where he is. So he just exited the office, walked to the classroom, told his son, get up out the chair. We're leaving, going home. He never sent another one of his children to the school because they had the audacity to tell him once the child stepped on school property. The child was government property. This was 20 something years ago, folks. Who would have ever thought that anything like this? would take place, but despisers of those that are good. Our nation presently has politicians going out of their way to try to, to pretty much prohibit Thanksgiving celebrations and Christmas. And here now you, you've got politicians telling people that if you're going to have uh, at least if you're going to have no more than 10 people at your house, that's fine. But you still got to make a list of all those in your family that are coming and you have to ask them where they've been and keep a contact tracing list to know where they've gone. Other deception. Friends of ours. They wanted to get married in the early part of the year. They sent us an invitation. I wanted to go, but it was impossible to travel. After they sent the invitation, the four or five weeks later, got a cancellation. So we had to cancel because of COVID and everything. So they rescheduled and they picked another day, got the invitation. I'm so happy to see this young couple in their 20s getting married and then got another one. Cancellation. What in the world? I said, I better make a phone call out here, see what's going on. I called. They they told me, they said, well, uh, the, the people were having problems getting a community center or some kind of public facility to host the wedding and the reception. They decided since they live on an acreage, 
10-acre acreage, they'd have the wedding and reception on their own property, and they had sent out the invitation. Somebody put a notice on Facebook. A neighbor saw it on Facebook and said, if you have all of those people at your house, I'll turn you in. Turn you in. Had to cancel it again. What's that first one there in verse number four? He said, one of the characteristics of the last days, people would be traitors. Who would have thought American citizens would turn on American citizens? I found out here just the other day down in Kansas where we got the church. They said several churches were closed down and now they even have the mask police standing outside of Walmart to make sure. Police department standing outside of Walmart to make sure that you have it when you walk in. You wonder, is this even America anymore? But Paul said in the last days, there would be those that are despisers of those that are good. And the hatred against Christians is so great that even a Supreme Court justice had to get on television on an interview and say, how in the world can a state say that you can go to a gambling casino and spend your money? But in the same writing of legislature, legislation say that you can't even go to the house of God. Deception. Paul saw it back then. We're seeing it now. Heady and high-minded is related to those that are dealing with with pride and proud people. But lovers of pleasure more than lovers of God, we're definitely facing that. The most important thing to many people is pleasure, not loving God. How can I be happy? What can we expect to see in the last days? Polygamy, legalized. We'll see it here in America. Don't you worry. Don't you worry. There were people years ago that never, ever would have thought this nation would ever approve and condone through the courts a man living with a man. You'll see polygamy legalized. You don't have to worry. You're going to find that, that, that what very often is a conception of that mind that makes you to that television then becomes a reality for a whole lot of people. Because there are plenty of men and women today that have multiple lovers. They're just not yoked legally. Here's a man, has a wife. He's married here. Over here at another town, he's got another woman that he has, has a baby. Got another town over here, got another woman that he's got a couple of kids by, and it just keeps going on. There's already a form of polygamy been going on. Yeah. When they put that show about the Mormons on television many years ago called Big Love, people were, people were upset. They were angry. How in the world can you put polygamy on television? Because you got thousands of kids living in polygamous relationships now, and for them it's totally normal. Go to the Middle East. Man, I have multiple wives. I've led Muslim men to Christ that have had more than one wife. Think about that. Lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God in the last days you can expect one drug after another to be legalized. They will always find a way. If they don't say it's medicinal, they'll find another way to slide it right up under there. The pleasures of man are so great that people don't want to try to put any kind of restraint on anybody. You know as well as I do the word we have in English, pedophile, comes from the Greek, pedophilia, the love of a child. But pretty soon, 
because the psychiatrists are already putting it in the medical journals. They can't help themselves. They're born like this. And see, I, I tell people all the time, look, if, if, if somebody ran around with sticky fingers and every yard they came in contact with, they stole a bicycle out of the front yard and then they went to court and said, look, I can't help myself. I'm born to be a thief. There'd be somebody that would say the law is on the books to prohibit that kind of behavior and is within your ability to say no to your desires. That is where as a nation we have lost common sense. I don't care how anybody believes they're born. Here's what I do know. Every man or woman needs to be born again. And when the new nature of Jesus Christ comes into that life, God gives us power to overcome sin. With every temptation, God provides a way of escape. But when the love of pleasure is greater than the love of God, God is pushed from the forefront and pleasure becomes the God. Yes, prostitution, you'll see legalized in more than a handful of states like Las Vegas and a few others. Yeah, red light district won't be red anymore. It'll look like any other place simply because the call girls and the high-priced ladies and gigolos won't have to worry about being caught anymore. It's the love of pleasure. What's going to take place in the last days is going to astound people. You know, years ago I had to fly to the Middle East and I stopped in Europe in Amsterdam. Had a day there. So I thought, since I've got a little bit of time, why don't I catch a bus and just go to downtown Amsterdam and see how the Dutch people live and just how all of this works out there. So that's sure enough what I did and, and went down there, found me a good place to eat some food and everything. But, but just walking around there, Europe then, this 30 years ago, totally different than the culture we had here in the States. I'd never been in an area of a marketplace where they had ladies just standing up in the windows like you would see here in America. You'd have a mannequin or something like that or a lady or a guy posing. I, I just I'm walking past. I'm looking. I see people sitting there standing in the window. I thought it was a mannequin only to discover there's a woman there selling herself. And people could just walk by broad daylight, two o'clock in the afternoon, walk straight through the door and buy that woman or some other lady in that place. The love of pleasure. And it's greater than any love for God. Well, let me finish up. That scripture says that there are those that have a form of godliness, but deny the power of it. You see this. People go to church all across America. Many of the people who attend church are not born again, but you can't tell them that they're not saved. They honestly believe that they are, but there's a, a form of godliness. It looks holy, it seems holy, but it's not quite true to what God desires because it denies the power of it. That is to say, it's possible to sing about a grace that's not amazing enough to change your life. Yeah, form of godliness. And some people are so intimidated by the people that they preach to that they can't deal with the issue of sin and deal with what is holy. 
I think we're just on the threshold of the coming of the king. I'd be glad to see him. I could tell you that. Yeah. There's an antichrist spirit in the world. I talked with a lady the other day. She was telling me about she was saying some extra masses for her pope because the pope didn't bless same civil unions. I said, well, I'm not sure if you need more masses or another pope. Maybe you need another church. Because if the man at the top says that, it's just a matter of time before it starts trickling down. And it wouldn't surprise me after all if we found out he likes guys too. Wouldn't surprise me at all. Having a form of godliness, but denying the power of it. From such, turn away, Paul. Well, you read that, things just seem a little gloomy, you know. But I, I, I like what old brother Clendenin saying one time he had preached a strong message, put it on that television. Next morning he was in that bank. I think he had to deal with something related to some deposits or something. But he said that bank president came running out there, said, look, I saw you on that television the other day. How in the world can you come in here and be so happy whistling Dixie like you are? You know, you just got a smile on your face, got a little bounce in your step, but you're, you're talking about bombs going off and things falling apart and the culture just coming apart at the seams. He looked at that bank president. He said, sir, I was talking about your world, not mine. Not mine. This world is not my home. One day there's going to be a trumpet sound and I'm out of here. There won't be any bombs that's going to land on those streets where there's gold. So this is all temporal. We're here for a season. Let's stand. It really is a great day to be alive. Have our eyes open. I don't know. I may put my head on that pillow tonight, folks, and then I go airborne. You see, just rapture take place. Folks should be called away. I'll be looking around. I say, anybody seen Jericho lately? They say, well, I, I don't know. I thought she was down there playing the piano somewhere. See, heading airborne, going to be with the king. Let's pray for our nation. Heavenly fathers, we think about some of these sobering truths that we talked about tonight. We stand in intercession for America right now asking you to forgive us. God, I honestly believe that for a few years there you gave us a wonderful reprieve for the church. But you never ever promised we'd have a rosy pathway or that it would be easy. But nevertheless, God, I'm asking you in the middle of the storm that we know the adversary would love to bring against that church. Protect your remnant. Stretch forth your hand to do signs and wonders. Let healings take place, God. Pour out your mighty Holy Ghost as you did in Acts chapter 2, chapter 10, and in chapter 19. And Father, I pray that we'll see a massive harvest of souls coming into the kingdom. Help us, O oh God, keep the faith. In these days, in Jesus' name we pray and everyone said, Amen, Amen, Amen. Praise